Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Tracy and I returned recently from a trip up to South Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. What a glorious time we had just in the presence of the Lord in such a wide variety of environments from churches to uh, yards to barns to uh, just incredible people that we met and uh, and the work that God did while we were there and touching people's hearts and lives and, and healing bodies and saving people. And you know, he's still in the business of restoring, converting, transforming, changing lives. When I go across the nation, I discover that there's a lot of people there that have, there's some good, just good people everywhere, but there are people that have studied the scriptures and they have given their lives to just the study of the word of God. And so sometimes I'll say things like, there's like a biblical illiteracy and, and that's true. There is a need for people to come to know, uh, the, the scriptures. They just got to come to that awareness, but, uh, there are so many people who absolutely love the word of God and have given their lives to, to studying it. And you know, when I sit down with people who've really become uh, students of the Word, I find that there's a synergy and a unity there. When I run into people who uh, have have uh, divisions or problems, whatever, I, I realize that one of the things that's lacking is an understanding or knowledge of the story, the entirety of the story of, of the gospel uh, as told in the Bible. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about this story. I, I had a, a young friend recommend to me uh, a series of, of novels that he had been reading, and I love reading anyway, so he, I, I read a couple of the novels that he had recommended, and uh, and they were fantastic and just really, really well written. One of the best writers on earth uh, has written a series of these novels. and So I got on a blog, and I decided to read what other people have said about this particular uh, writer's work. And I couldn't believe how the thousands of people who have read this guy's books from cover to cover uh, know just all of the nuances of the story that he's telling had an amazing synergy. And even if they disagreed about certain characters in the book, and you know each person has kind of their own tastes and their favorites and whatnot, they all knew the story. And so that there was a a real cohesive union among these people as they spoke of and talked about some of the things that they felt like uh, that they were seeing insights and stuff that they were learning from the story. Uh, You know, it's like, it's like people who all watch Star Trek, you know, it's like they know the story, they know the bits and pieces, they can talk and debate and argue about this stuff all day long, but there's a sense of unity in, in amongst people that have come to really know and understand the story because they've read the whole thing and they've taken it all in as a collective story. They get the plots, they get the points, they know the they know the overarching theme and they kind of understand how this concludes. And I discover as I'm traveling and as I'm visiting with people, the disagreements that arise and divisions that happen happen often because many of us, and listen to this, have not read or understood the whole story of the Bible, the the story of God, and what exactly the Bible is trying to tell us. 
And, uh, and this is so vital, so important for us to do. You say, well, I've read the whole Bible cover to cover. I Listen, I get it. Back in Bible college, we had to read the whole Bible every year. And there was a simple Bible reading program that you could do to do it. Uh, three chapters a day and five on Sunday. That's the way it worked. And if you did three chapters every day and five on Sunday, you can make it through the Bible in an entire year. Well, when you when you just reduce your Bible study down to three chapters a day and five on Sunday, you're filling quota here. But And there are a lot of portions of the scripture. My dad used to uh, lament about the begats, you know, uh, a lot of portions of scripture that are dull and seem to be uninspired. Uh, and yet they're included in there for a reason, because each, each portion of scripture has to do with an interconnectedness with other parts of the book. And that's what makes it so interesting. There's so many things that that Jesus refers to in the Old Testament, that if you didn't read the Old Testament, you'd have no clue as to what in the world he's referring to. There's so many things culturally, uh, the, the Jewishness of the culture that are woven in throughout the story, that if you don't understand the culture, there are many things that you won't understand when it comes to certain pieces of information in the scriptures. But even if you understand modern Jewish culture, to understand ancient Jewish culture is an entirely other layer. So if you've never picked up a Bible before, don't be afraid of what I'm telling you here and think, oh my goodness, this is going to take me decades. I'd say this, we're going to spend eternity learning the story of God and understanding more of the story of God. Start now. Uh, the learning curve might be a little steep, but you know, here's the thing you have access to the author. You have a tutor and that is the Holy spirit. And that's why John wrote in his letters, he says that you, you don't need anybody to teach you. Why? Because the spirit lives in you. And what does that even mean? It means you have access to the author of the book and the author of the book can download to you insights, wisdom, and revelation, especially when your heart is turned in towards the desire to know Jesus more. Paul told the uh, church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, he says, I pray that God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews tells us that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When we intend to turn our attention and our affection toward Jesus, the Holy Spirit rewards that, that attentiveness with the granting of uh, revelation and understanding as to what the story is, uh, and and think of it like this, the questions and answers that should be asked and the answers that should be understood. If you wanted to boil the entire Bible down to an oversimplistic statement that gives you uh, at least the direction that your gaze should be faced in, think of it like this. Everything in the book, in the Bible, is one huge question 
to which Jesus Christ is ultimately the answer. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day who who understood the points in the story up into their time, they understood them to be asking a particular question, but the problem is they started with the wrong question, so then they could never come to the right conclusion. Jesus said to them, John 6, he says, you search the scriptures, the book, because you think in them is eternal life, but these are they which testify of me, and yet you're unwilling to come to me. So Jesus himself reveals that the problem with their approach to the information they have been given is they were on the wrong quest entirely. They were searching for eternal life. They should have been searching for him. They were looking for something for themselves. They should have been seeking him. They had a completely self-centered perspective. They should have been other-centered with the center being him. And so he he attempts to recorrect or to correct their focus, to draw their attention to him. Because if we don't start there, then we're going to end up asking all of the wrong questions in this quest for understanding. And you say, what's wrong with eternal life? I thought that was the quest. Listen, eternal life is not the quest. It's the byproduct of seeking him first. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, every other question, every other need, every point of lack will be filled up. Every need will be met. Every other question will be answered. All the extemporaneous circumstances around you will be dealt with if you seek first the kingdom. And there is no kingdom apart from the king. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are seeing, beholding the king. And when we behold the king, we are seeking the kingdom. The revelation of the king's domain comes through the revelation of the king. It is ultimately the king that teaches us how to even be human, for we're made in his image and likeness. And this ought to be the the first point of understanding when it comes to biblical interpretation, and that is to discover the origin of our inception is to be made in the image and likeness of God. When God stepped into human flesh in the form of Christ, that should have been a clue that for us to understand even how to be human, even how to do life, we should look at the one in whose image and likeness we're made, who stepped into human form, and that ought to be our role model, our model for life, our model for ministry, our model for relationship, our model for healing, our model for wholeness, our model for overcoming darkness, our model for righteousness. All of the things that that, that we uh, have questions about, how do we do this? How do we do that? How do we live like this? Can be summed up in one word, Jesus. How do we seek first the kingdom? By keeping our eyes on the king. And the posture of our gaze, or the place of our gaze, will reveal the posture of our being. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, the Bible tells us that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We are in him and he in us. So where he is, is a revelation of our destiny. The fullness of who we are is meant to be in union with the fullness of who he is. So he said, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. You say, well, I'm, someday I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I hope I can see Jesus. Well, listen, if you don't see Jesus, you're not in heaven. Because heaven is Jesus and Jesus is heaven. And you can't separate one from the other. It's not that you're going to go to a place that's distant and separate from Christ himself. The one who holds all things together. What he has prepared for you is really a revelation of union. That you and I have been invited to be in a place of union with him. So that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he reveals the inheritance that we have in God. He reveals the mission that we have here in this earth, and that is to release the love of God, to carry the kingdom and power of God, to love one another just as he has loved us, and to impact this world with the message of the gospel. That is the good news of what Christ has done. It's all about Jesus. It's all about seeing Jesus first above all. So the story of the Bible has the Old Testament, of course, and the New Testament. The Old Testament is filled with the revelation of God's initial relationship and creation of man, how man exercised the will, the freedom that God gave him to do something completely contrary to God's desire and heart. But God blessed us with the ability to make choices both good and bad. In the context of that level of freedom, love is possible to be experienced, and he created us for love. God is love, and when love is our quest, and and, and our heart turns toward the Lord, the answer of that quest will be met in him alone. When we don't know that he's the answer to that quest, we will, as the old song says, go ahead and fill in the lyrics yourself. We will look for love in all the wrong places. And so uh, he ultimately is the fulfillment of every quest that's on our heart. Every desire you and I have is satisfied in the presence of the Lord and from a revelation of Jesus and our union with him. It brings us into a, a place of reconciled rest. But when we misuse that freedom and we go our own way, we brought into this world what is known as the fall. And Now, the fall, of course, uh, uh, goes all the way back to what, what theologians refer to as original sin. And I hate that term, original sin, because subconsciously it communicates to you that sin is your origin, and it's not. Original sin just means the first sin. And the reality is, if you're talking about your origin, your origin is in righteousness. So original righteousness is more powerful than original sin. But the first sin or the origin moment of sin brought into this world a a measure of confusion, blindness, and darkness that pushed God out. And you say, wait, wait, wait. 
I thought God cast us out of the garden. No, we we stepped into a place of self-condemnation when we literally did what he told us not to do. And it's not that God uh, uh, punished uh, man by uh, severing him from the garden. It's that man made a choice to experiment life without God. And God allowed us to, to have the opportunity to live that experiment out, to go away from his divine protection and provision and literally step into a world that was now going to have to sustain us by the work of our hands and the sweat of our brow. And so God yet steps into man's story, into his his uh, existence outside of the garden and engages with man by creating covenants with man. Covenant just means to be set at one. In other words, to be reconciled back to, to a place of some level of unity, uh, some somehow where we can actually have relationship. And when man keeps the covenants, things go great. When man disobeys the covenant or walks away from it, there's a severing in relationship. And God doesn't throw us off or cast us away. God actually re-engages man with covenant over and over again. And these covenants have conditions attached to them. And these conditions can be harsh. Uh, they're, they're typically based on sowing and reaping. You sow sin and you're going to reap judgment. You sow evil, you're going to reap uh, uh, pain. You, you sow good, you're going to reap blessing. It's all about sowing and reaping, and it's all contingent upon us. The work is all up to us. But keep in mind, God never meant for you and I to live according to the law of sowing and reaping. We were meant to live in him. And yet, for thousands of years, man had completely rejected the idea of union with God. We could see God was holy, but the bigger power and the thing that we could uh, not get past was our unholiness. And so man decides he's going to do a number of different things. One of the things that man does, and God really doesn't like this, is a man decides instead of worshiping the one true God, man's going to make up his own. We're going to make, we're going to create some gods. We're going to create some idols. We're going to we're going to step into a place. We're going to make a stone idol. We're going to make a temple. We're going to put the idol in the temple. We're going to give this thing a name, and we are going to uh, uh, do things to make this idol happy. What do we do to make the idol happy? Whatever we can think of. And that became as brutal as man's darkest heart could get to the point of of sacrificing even human beings, people. In the case of the god Molech, sacrificing children to Molech to somehow get the god, the false god, doesn't even exist, is a creation of human mythology to get that god, Molech, to somehow be kind to us. And here's the crazy part, though, is that we have, uh, the Bible says that there is a devil, a Satan, a an evil, an entity that is that is looking to deceive. And in our creation of idols, don't you know 
that there are dark forces that inhabit those creations that give them a supernatural quality of sorts that attract us to them that uh in that in that uh the genuine supernatural power, we can actually fool ourselves into believing that the idols we've created are alive. And so, so man creates these idols, feels in a sense of pull toward these idols. Uh, there's certain things maybe that happen that make us feel like the idol is either happy or not happy with us, uh, judging us or not judging us. Now we've got to appease the idol. And so man is literally sacrificing human beings to this idol to appease the idol. What are we doing? We are, listen, we are sacrificing people made in the image and likeness of God to an image and likeness of man. It's, it's, we are sacrificing to the idol of ourself and Satan's more than happy to accommodate that in whatever way he could to the point where entire nations can be deceived and still to this day walk in that, that measure of deception to the point where they, they even begin to hate one another. And see, we still sacrifice people made in the image and likeness of God whenever we create any kind of an idol to replace God with in our lives. Whatever has your attention and affection above and beyond the things of God can become an idol. And you'll sacrifice yourself. I'm talking about your time, your money, your energy, your talent. You'll sacrifice yourself on the altar that you've built in your own mind and in your own heart to that idol to which you've given your affection. So idolatry is not has not gone away with the Old Testament and with ancient times. It's alive and well in the world today. And God has never warmed up to idolatry. You will have no other gods before me. Now, there are no real gods out there apart from one. Just God. That's it. That's all. Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, the, the, the God that created all of us, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and has grafted all of humanity through the blood of Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, the last word, into a reconciled union with himself. God in Christ shut down every old covenant system, every old covenant system of um, sacrificing, every old covenant system of uh, sowing and reaping. It has nothing to do with you at this point. It has everything to do with Jesus. And the only question for you and I at this point is what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Christ here? What, what, what does Jesus Christ have to do with anything? He is the center, the absolute apex, the ultimate, the one who fills all in all, the one who is with the father from the beginning before Abraham was. He says, I am. He is everything. Christ is all and in all. And he loves every other man-made world religion creates a scenario that very simple formula, but there's a thousand variations of it. And it all tells you what you have to do in your power and in your work to be right with God, whatever God it is they worship. 
But only in Jesus Christ do we see a God who would go to the end of himself to reach you. A God who would literally go and place himself in harm's way and die at the hand of his own creation, forgiving us in the process. And then, according to Peter, descending into hell to preach the gospel to those who were locked in prison. So hell becomes a demonstration of the lengths to which God will go to get you back. Death becomes a demonstration of the lengths to which God will go to redeem you. Jesus reveals the heart of the one true God who will sacrifice himself to save his own creation, will sacrifice himself to redeem his own back to him. And this is why we fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he reveals a God that man could never make up in his own mind, that man could never create and conjure up in his own heart. A God that, that when encountered in resurrection power, turns people who were timid and fearful and cowardly into lions roaring with the gospel, the good news of the gospel of peace, spreading all over the world, turning the world upside down. A God that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see and opens deaf ears, opens prison doors, literally and spiritually, sets captives free. A God that by his Holy Spirit causes rivers of living water to flow out from us. A God that has taken the tree, the very tree of life, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations and placed it the banks of that river that flows out from you and I, so that you and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If none of this makes sense to you, then maybe read your Bible. And it will give you a story that may seem confusing for the first three quarters of it. But if you look at the story and realize, every time I come up with a question, Jesus has got to be the answer to this. Then you'll begin to discover uh, the point of the entire book. That Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the culmination of it. He is the one who fills all in all. He is the one we are growing up into. Uh, we are des de destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The revelation of Jesus Christ ultimately becomes a revelation of you because you're made in his image and likeness. And the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is. The Holy Spirit is daily bringing us into various encounters with people, situations, divinely orchestrating moments where there is a, an ability for that Christ likeness to be formed and fashioned in us fresh and new. I sat down this morning and opened up my Bible to Galatians 4 to continue the theme that we started a couple of weeks ago, and we'll just have to pick that up next time. But it just felt like when I opened up the Bible today, the Lord was saying, please tell them the story and, and draw them into an awareness that I, I want to I encounter them within the pages of this book. This book's all about Jesus. Let the book reveal Jesus to you. It doesn't, it doesn't confine him. It reveals and unveils him. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. Every single person listening to this podcast today, you're one encounter with Jesus away from a completely transformed life. 
He still changes, transforms, and converts. And today, if you need that transforming grace, just say, Jesus, I receive your grace by faith. I don't even know how to receive it by faith, so I ask you for the faith to believe. And Lord, I just thank you for, uh, for, for coming into my life, for being both my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me, but I give you my life, and I give you lordship in my life. I don't know how to do it by myself, so guide me by your Spirit. Shape me into your image and your likeness, and let me be a light to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can go and support us online at BillVanderbush.com. Go to the Give page or VanderbushMinistries.com if you feel led to support us. We do appreciate your prayers and so thank you for taking the time to listen. Take a life-changing 10-week journey through the book of Hebrews with a new covenant lens with Bill Vanderbush and Don Wollabaugh. This video Bible study is a verse-by-verse journey that covers the whole book of Hebrews from a new covenant perspective. When you join, you are part of a guided journey through 21 video conversations between Bill and Don. Follow along or go at your own pace. As you go through the lessons, you can expect to gain more freedom in your thinking and life while also being more empowered to walk in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can name your own price for the study. We believe this message is so important that we don't want money to be a barrier. So you can literally name your own price when you sign up. Go now to HebrewsStudy.com. That's Hebrews with an S, study.com, or go to BillVanderbush.com and click on the link right there on the home page. Are you ready to gain a fresh new covenant perspective and start walking in God's promises? Then go to HebrewsStudy.com and get started today. Hey, this is Bill Vanderbush. Thanks for listening today. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.